0: Greetings and a warm welcome. Thanks for tuning in to Search for Truth. Today on Search for Truth we bring you the second talk in our new series of uh, studies with our Bible teacher Brian Johnston. The theme of the series is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The title of this group of studies is Nothing But Christ Crucified. Those words were taken from what Paul the Apostle wrote to the church at Corinth, in his letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2 and verse 2. And it's a Bible letter which Brian focuses on in this series. And in his talk today, Brian will centre on the crucifixion as the scandal to end all scandals. So, now let's go to Brian. Thanks, John. Archimedes
1: once said that if he had a lever long enough and a place to stand on, he could move the world. But it was left to the early gospel preachers to achieve this feat, at least inasmuch as they were accused of being those who had turned the world upside down. And that was a form of words in those days which had a specific and very special idiomatic meaning. To accuse someone of upsetting the world like that was to charge them with sedition. And it's little wonder that Christians should have been accused of that. After all, wasn't Christ condemned for claiming a kingship to rival Caesar's? And ever since his resurrection, loyal followers of Christ had chanted Curios Jesus, Jesus is Lord, while the rest of society, who were loyal to the emperor, had Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord, as their rallying cry. In those bygone days, Christians were accused of atheism because they didn't revere all the pagan gods of Rome. So that meant that atheism had a double meaning then. When Polycarp, the 86-year-old Bishop of Smyrna, who reputedly had been a personal acquaintance of the Apostle John at Ephesus, when he was sentenced to be thrown to the gladiators in the arena, the authorities realised this would be a poor spectacle, so they encouraged him just to say, away with the atheists, and that would suffice for him to recant his faith. Polycarp assured them that he'd be able to comply with that request, And then when the moment came he instead turned and pointed to the emperor and his entourage and said away with the atheists in that way he kept his faith and lost his life there's more than a hint of sedition too in the description of the christian message as paul defines it in first corinthians chapter 1 and from verse 18 where he says for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Apostle Paul, guided by the Spirit, began there by quoting from the prophet Isaiah. It was back in the 29th chapter of Isaiah that God had forewarned that he was one day going to do something wondrously marvellous which would utterly confound human wisdom. It's made clear here that God fulfilled that promise in the most wonderful and marvellous way possible at the cross. Philosophers ever since have struggled to fit the cross into their ways of viewing the world. Religious traditionalists don't consider it to be at all the kind of sign they'd expect and the professional debaters who were around in the first century doubtless found it a topic quite unsuited for their art. Not much has changed since. Contemporary intellectuals dismiss what they view as the sadistic and horrific barbarism of the cross. They hold in utter contempt any god who could conceive of such a deed as occurred at the cross. They do this in a similar way to what's shown in an early piece of graffiti where Christians and their God were the butt of the joke. It displays a figure on a cross with a donkey's head and under the man drawn beside it the inscription reads Alexander worships his God. This reflected the marginalised state of Christianity before Constantine, with a sweep of his sceptre, made Christianity the empire's official religion overnight suddenly Christianity had for the first time something to lose. It had gained official patronage, wealth and respect, all of which had been totally unknown before. At one point after that, the Pope showed to Thomas Aquinas great wealth and proudly declared that the church could no longer say, silver and gold have I none, as it's recorded the apostle Peter had done. Aquinas replied that it was probably for that reason that it could also no longer say, stand, take up your bed and walk. Such was then its powerless state. Christianity is generally better suited to being marginalised than patronised. It's more powerful when it has nothing to lose. I see it today in the powerful Christian lives of brothers and sisters in developing countries who have nothing or very little to lose. Initially, The wider categories of human society, Roman as well as barbarian, Jew as well as Gentile, all were wrong-footed by God's action at the cross. No one had anticipated a cross-centred revelation of who God is. And the only ones since who've ever been able to appreciate that are those who've been called by God. To everyone else, it's pure foolishness which is why Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the foolishness of the message. Notice, it's not the foolishness of the actual preaching, but the foolishness as perceived of the thing that's preached. We should always strive not to preach in a foolish way, but we always need to be prepared for the reaction of listeners that the substance of what's been preached to them is to them mere foolishness. But those who view the message of the cross like that, tragically, are perishing. The only labels that have ultimate meaning at the cross are those who are perishing and those who are being saved. In verse 18 we read, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. We might have expected that verse to contrast wisdom with its earlier mention of foolishness, but the term power is used instead. It's not merely that God's wisdom is greater in degree than human wisdom. That wouldn't be saying too much, would it? But God's foolishness, the cross, is more powerful than human wisdom. The cross is the shocking way in which God did what he promised he was going to do long in advance. He destroyed human wisdom with all its pretensions and arrogance and self-congratulations. He did this at one stroke by revealing that the truth about himself is cross-centred. Not only has this action of God through the cross upset the world, overturning all its values in what must be the ultimate sedition, it's at the same time the scandal to end all scandals. Modern political scandals, such as the so-called Watergate affair in the United States, which took place during the presidency of Richard Nixon, is probably among the most famous of recent times. But that comes nowhere close. The Apostle Paul says that Christ crucified was and is a stumbling block to the Jews. The word translated stumbling block is the word we get our modern term scandal from. For the Jew, Christ crucified was an oxymoron, two words that should never belong together. If the cross defied sense to the Greek mind, as we earlier thought, it also denied pride to the Jew who was looking to boast in a swashbuckling superhero of a Messiah coming to liberate the Jewish people from their oppressors. As well as defying sense and denying pride, I feel compelled to remind you that the cross defines pain for all time. Our word excruciating, meaning intensely painful, originates from crucifixion. It is the most horrific of all means of execution being imported by the Romans from barbarians at the margin of the empire. They reserved it for aliens, slaves, and the worst of criminals. So fearful was it, it was not a topic for discussion in polite company. Cicero warned against it. It was the extreme and ultimate punishment of slaves, the cruelest and most disgusting penalty, he said. Josephus calls it the most pitiable or wretched of deaths. Back to Cicero again he said the very mention of the cross should be far removed not only from a Roman citizen's body but from his mind, his eyes, his ears. And yet flying in the face of all this God has designed Christianity as the message of the cross. Long ago they considered Jeremiah a traitor when his God-given message of salvation to his people was to cease all resistance and entrust themselves to the mercy of their would-be captors. That's again what God asks of those who would become Christians, to be prepared to stop living for themselves in this world, yield to the claims of God in full surrender of their life to Christ. And so the note of sedition comes in again as Paul surveys the Corinthian church. From chapter 1, and verse 26, he says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Often today, it's the poorest who are the first to respond to the message of the cross. In the 21st century, it continues to turn the world upside down. In doing so, of course, it's actually setting things right, for it's human rebelliousness against God that's got the world topsy-turvy.
0: As surely I tell you that there's a booklet available to accompany this series. And if you'd like a copy, please write in, making sure to let us have your postal address. Ask for the title, Nothing But Christ Crucified. You can order by email or by post. And here's our contact detail so you can make a note. Search for Truth, Haste Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, Sierra November 4, 8 Delta Yankee, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You may be interested to know as well that you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off air, that is by audio podcast or MP3 versions. If you uh, go to www searchfortruth.podbean.com You can browse the list of previous talks and you'll see they've been sorted into categories so you can find what you're looking for. So, that's all t- we have time for today. Many thanks for the privilege of your company once again. And uh, do join us next week for the next talk in this series. Until then, very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you.